Well, I'll turn your Bibles tonight. You know, we are in uh, the book of James, been looking at some practical lessons from the book of James. A fun book and a fun study. It's been enjoyable. I, I just like reading this book. I, I'm challenged spiritually when I read it. I'm stirred practically when I read it. And uh, we're going to uh, get into chapter number three tonight, and we'll, Lord willing, finish chapter number three. Again, we're just kind of doing a highlight, kind of a, uh, an overview of each chapter, kind of giving each chapter a, a particular focus. We looked at chapter one and studied the idea of learning how to live. Live a life that's surrendered, that's separated, that's serving, that's uh, sincere in nature. And we, we saw that and studied the learning how to live. Then we looked at chapter 2 and learning how to love. And in learning how to love, you, you to love without fluctuating favoritism. Not uh, up and down or this person or that person, but to just love people and have a compassion for them. And uh, by the way, if you happen to be listening tonight and you were one of the names that we listed off as those we're praying for, I want you to understand that comes from a heart of love. That as a church, we desire to most effectively minister to you. We want it to be, as a church, what you need, and uh, we know the Holy Spirit can bring that. And so we're praying that God gives us wisdom and leading to most effectively be what you need. And I hope that as you hear those prayers, you hear it from a heart of love and uh, not in any means a heart of, of piety or pious and, and by any means that, oh, oh, you know, we need to pray for those people. It's, it's a heart of compassion and love that as a church we want to be what we need to be for you. And so I don't know who's listening. I don't have any idea. But it's very possible that some of those that we've listed, that as a church we're praying for, that you're listening tonight. And we want you to know we love you. And uh, we want to just be there to minister for you and to you in and through the love of Christ. But we see this learning how to love. And it comes with uh, fruitful faith. That is faith that has some backbone to it. Faith that brings out something. There's going to be fruit in the life of a person who actually has faith. And that contrast uh, between works and faith and then we looked at being a faithful friend, loving that way as a faithful friend should love. So we could, as we look at chapter 2 there, and the idea of true saving faith is evidenced by the works that you do, you could back up and say chapter 1 shows us that saving faith is evident by the willingness that you have. Chapter 3 that we're getting into tonight shows us that saving faith is evidenced by the words that you use. And further, it's evidenced by the wisdom that you exercise. Now, keeping in line with my outline, I was tempted tonight to call this lesson Learning How to Listen. Learning How to Listen. If you know chapter 3 of the book of James, we have that passage in this chapter about the tongue. A good number of verses dealing with the tongue. And sometimes we're too quick to use the tongue and not very quick to listen. And I was going to go that direction. But as I looked at the whole chapter as a whole, the listening was one part of the whole chapter. And so I've entitled this tonight, Learning How to Lead. Learning How to Lead. And that really comes from the first verse and the closing verses on wisdom. But you'll see here in the first verse, he says in James chapter 3, in verse number 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. He starts out here by giving a caution to those that have a desire to lead, the desire to lead. 
And uh, he says, you know what? That might not be the greatest ambition. He, he kind of gives us a, this, this caution here, a compelling caution. He says, listen, the fact of the matter is, is those that are leading have a greater condemnation. There's a, a desire to lead or want to, and many times people look at it and they think about, boy, I want to be up front, or, oh, I want to have that position, or I want to lead at the job, and, and I want to be the one that's in charge at, at the workplace, or sometimes even in the home. I want to be in charge. I want to lead. And uh, we were reading last night uh, in devotions and uh, reading, still reading the story about Mrs. Goforth and, and the brother Goforth, the missionaries there. And uh, Mrs. Goforth said she wanted her way. And bless God, she was going to get her way. And, and uh, you know, she felt like her husband didn't give her her way enough. And, and she was going to go and she wanted to go visit some people. And she says, well, you know, I'm going to do it. Her husband said, I don't think it's a good idea. And she says, well, I'm going to do it. And in the morning she got up and she got on the train and, and she rode the train to go visit these people. And, of course, she was miserable the whole time. But uh, she got there and was getting ready to go to bed at night, and she had a practice of memorizing three verses every day. And she's going to memorize three verses. And so she got to her verses she's been reading and, and memorizing in the book of Ephesians. So she got to Ephesians. <laughs> she, uh, what is it, chapter 5, where it talks about husbands submit, I mean, wives submit to your husbands. And those were the verses that were next on her memorization. I mean, the very verses. And she says, Lord, how could you do this to me? So there she was. She was supposed to be there for several days, but in the morning she had her bags packed and ready to go before breakfast and she was going home. What's amazing is when she got to the train station, the next day her husband was standing there waiting at the train station. She, she got off the train and she says, what are you doing here? And he's like, I had a feeling you might be here this morning. And uh, they, of course, hugged and made up and... and uh, and, and she said from that point on, the dynamic of their relationship changed greatly. But, you know, uh, just the idea of, you know, wanting to be the, the leader and, and the person in charge. And uh, there are some who desire that position of mastery. Uh, but he says, listen, there's a caution here. You might not want to do that. It's not about standing in the place of honor and prestige. It's really about standing in the place of judgment. For those who lead will be judged more harshly. That caution that he gives them is because there's a considerable condemnation. He says, you're not going to be judged like everyone else. You're going to be judged like somebody that's responsible for everyone else. When you're in a position of leadership, and that would... Uh, be a caution and a warning to you and I, to everybody here, For uh, except for those that are the youngest among us. We, we all have some capacity or of leadership, whether that's in the job, in the workforce, you have some people you're leading, or maybe in the home, you as parents, you have children you're leading, or dad as a, as a, as a husband, as, as a father, you've got a family, a, a household that you're leading. Listen, you're going to be held responsible for how you lead that family. You're going to be held responsible for the direction that you take and the influence that you exude over that family and how they're led by your example. You're, you're, you're going to be responsible for what you allow into the home. Not just what you say. You can stand up and say, boy, this is what you should do. But what do you allow? You're going to be responsible for what those kids are introduced to. For what they're allowed to take in. 
The leaders held accountable for the advice we give, the direction we suggest, or the instructions that we impart. He says, maybe it's not what you really want. Maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. He says, you know, be not many masters. Not The idea they're just, it's not something you should jump into carelessly. It's not something you should just, boy, that's what I want to do and, and go after it. Many years ago, when I was praying about the pastorate, I had a senior pastor look at me and he says, well, why? Why do you want to go into the pastorate? What's your motivation? What is your purpose? James says, you, you better use some caution. It better be something that God is directing you to, that God is leading you to, and that it's something that you know that he wants, not just something that, well, I want to be in charge. Well, I want to be, I want to be the boss. Now, you guys know for two, two years I told you I didn't want to be in charge, so don't say that about me. <laughs> but that's not something we ought to just jump into without really exercising some wisdom. Do you know, beloved, that a quiet person is not necessarily spiritual, and a talkative person is not necessarily carnal? No, that's not the case. The determining factor is what are they talking about? What are they discussing? You see, anyone who's a leader is going to be held responsible for what they say. But I think the greater challenge is that the leader is going to be held responsible for what they do. For what they do. You can't just say, do as I say and not as I do. The fact of the matter is, is the leader is held to a higher standard. The leader is supposed to be an example. You're supposed to lead by example. And so that's something that we ought to take very seriously. It ought to be a part of our life. People don't just expect us to tell them what to do, but to show them what to do. This is a hard fact of leadership. I mean, you might not like it, but we're uh, leaders held to a higher standard. So he says, hey, there's a caution here. Because there's a condemnation that comes with it. There's, there's a judgment. So then we see the desire to lead, but we also see, secondly, the deceived leader. James already addressed the matter of the tongue back in chapter number 1, when verse chapter 1, verse number 26, he said, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. They're deceived. They're acting religious, but they're talking wicked. We all know, beloved, that it's from the heart the mouth speaketh. It's what comes out of here is because it's what's in, inside. And so, he says here you're deceived if you think that you can lead people and not be what you should be and not say what you should say, not have the right conversation, the right voice, or say the right things. So saving faith is evidenced by the words that we use. This passage of Scripture, a powerful passage of Scripture on the tongue, first of all, describes for us 
that uh, the tongue's power to direct, to direct lives. Look in verse number 2 through verse number 4. He says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. But we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. What James is saying here that that little bitty member, if you could control that little member, you could control the whole body. You can control an entire horse or you can control an entire ship by a little bitty rudder, by a little bitty bit in the mouth of a horse. It's a little member, but very powerful in what it can accomplish. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. But we keep ourselves from a lot of trouble if we could keep a watch about our mouth. If we could could guard this and be careful what we use this tongue for, and you're deceived if you think you're doing well, but you can't control the tongue. There's great power in this. It's the hard thing to control the tongue. You know, you might be able to keep your feet from taking you down to the bar tonight. You might be able to keep your hands from stealing something out of somebody's purse in the auditorium this evening. But can you control your tongue from saying something it shouldn't? From being careless, from being critical, from gossiping, from being negative, for not praising like we should. This tongue, this little member, not only has the power to direct, but we know that it's described here for us that it has the power to destroy. The power to destroy. And we all know this. But he describes or likens the tongue to fire. And we know a little bitty fire can consume a lot in a hurry. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. What a description of the tongue. What a description. You talk about the tongue and the power that's in the tongue and being able to uh, bring such destruction, this little member. And God's very clear about it. He says, man, this little member, it's like fire. Little spark. And we've all seen how a little spark can consume. Even, you know, out west it gets going and thousands and thousands of acres are are consumed before they're able to put it out. More destruction has been wrought in the family of God by an uncontrolled tongue than anything else. That, That little member has wrought more destruction in the family of God. Being careless, speaking out, saying things we shouldn't say. And not even necessarily an outright attack on somebody, although Satan gets in and it gets pretty vicious. But just sometimes just carelessness. Sometimes just being too free with our tongue and 
saying whatever pops into our head. And oops, you know, once it's out, you can't take it back. There's one guy who was having a real problem with his neighbor. He was very upset about it. And he was going around his neighborhood and talking and telling all the bad things he could think of ever to say about his neighbor. And he was talk, telling everybody at church all the bad things about his neighbor and all the problems that he's been having and, and kind of just spewing this out. And he was doing that for several weeks. And then God touched his heart about trying to witness to his neighbor. And he said, I can't do that now. So he went to his pastor and he says, how can I, how can I heal this? How can I heal this? How can I fix this so that I can witness to my neighbor? And the pastor told him, I want you to go home and get a pillow feather pillow. I want you to go up on your roof on a good breezy day. I want you to cut it open. Let all the feathers go. So he did it. He came back and he says, I did it. What now? He says, okay, now here's the back trash bag. I want you to go pick them all up. He says, there's no way. He said, there's no way you can fix all the damage that's been done. You can't undo all that. It's already out. You've already said it all. You might be able to pick up a few of them here or there, but you're not going to be able to pick all of them up. That damage is brought on from a loose tongue. You know, even inside of an individual family, a lot of times. I don't know why, but a lot of times we're least patient with those that are closest to us. We're quickest to lash out with our tongue with those that we say we love the most in the world. We wouldn't talk to anybody else in this world that way. But somehow, we think it's okay to talk to our mate that way. It's not okay. It's causing damage. It's hurting the home. It's hurting the family. And man, if you can put a check for your mouth and not speak to somebody else at church that way, then you can do that at home. You don't have to let it fly. You don't, well, I felt like giving her the what for. Or I felt like telling him how I felt. Yeah, well, sometimes it's wiser just not to say it. You might feel that way, but you need to control your mouth. He says, you can control your mouth, you control your whole body. You're deceived if you think you're doing good and you can't control the mouth. Glycerol to nitrate is a yellow pale oil. It's highly unstable. It was first made in 1846 by an Italian chemist and is known as nitroglycerin. I remember those old westerns where they had the nitroglycerin and, and it would be sweating on the outside of the stuff and, and, and the guys would get it and it was very unstable and they would be, you know, uh, carrying it somewhere and it would blow up way before they were supposed to. So nitroglycerin was very, very unstable. It would go off unexpectedly and temperature affected it and, and it, was, it was a very powerful uh, explosive but very unusable because it was so unstable. Well, then a name that you guys are familiar with, Alfred Nobel... Uh, began to manufacture nitroglycerin in his uh, shop near Stockholm in 1862. 
1864, an explosion in the factory killed five people, including his younger brother. But it was just a few months later that he was able to successfully take that nitroglycerin and infuse it into porous material that resulted in a safe, stable blasting agent that has become known as dynamite. And dynamite now is a very effective explosive. They use a lot of other things today, but it was used for a long time. And when it was controlled, when it was directed, when it was used in its proper way, it could accomplish a lot of good. And so what I'm saying is this little member, this tongue that has the ability to do so much destruction, at the same time, it has the power to do a lot of good. When I was in Kansas, uh, we lived right on I-70. I mean, the property was, from here to the road, was I-70, from here to Cuba. And uh, you could walk all the way up to the edge of I-70, and look, of course, they had a little barbed wire fence there and whatever, but there was kind of a, a drop-off near our property, and they wanted to widen I-70, and they came through, and we got notices in the mail that, hey, we're going to be blasting and, <clears throat> and all this. So we went up there because we wanted to see it, right? <clears throat> and they had this drill that they had drilled up about 15 feet down, 12 to 15 feet, their drill, and they would plant these explosives, and, and they kind of do a whole row. And then they light these charges off, and they light them off, uh, you know, what is, what is it, one after the other? What would that be called? In sequence or, uh, and anyways, you could feel the roll in the ground. Like it would cause the ground to, as they, as they exploded these things. And that broke all that block up and, and uh, they were able to come in with a tractor and dig it out. But it's pretty amazing the benefit. I mean, how much harder would it have been to try and dig that without that explosive? So it can do a lot of good when used in the right place and in the right way. You see, the tongue, although it's a fire, what the difference is, is who lights the fire? You see, here we see in this text that there is a fire that was lit, and the Bible tells us that it was lit of where? Hell. But you know, over there in the book of Acts, there's some preachers that the Spirit of God came onto. And the Bible says that, they, that it was as a fire. The fire was lit of the Holy Spirit for them in the book of Acts. And they saw great and mighty things happen. So your tongue can be used to do great things when it's, when it's a fire that's lit by God. But it can bring great destruction when it's a fire lit of hell. So it just depends on who we're letting light the fire. And it takes discipline on our part to control it. Man has tamed every kind of beast, but he can't tame the tongue. Look in verse number 7, down through verse number 12. He says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of the serpent and of the things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, the things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt and fresh. 
you know, this world is amazing. I, I don't remember uh, the whale, Shamu, right? Wasn't that the whale at SeaWorld Shamu for many, many years? Probably dead now. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they let him go. Yeah, he's, he's free. He's in, the, he's in the world somewhere, kids. He's, he's out there having fun. Uh, but that kind of whale, I had to look it up, but the average size of that type of whale, there's a lot of different whales. I did not know this. There's probably 20 different kinds of whales. And some of them are just massive, massive. Uh, but that little bitty whale, that is a real little whale by the whale scales. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it gets to about 12,000 pounds. They can train a 12,000-pound whale to play with a ball, to jump, to splash the crowd when they want him to. But this little thing right here, we can't train. We need the power of God to do that. We need the power of God. He describes here this little member that in one moment, we can be praising God. In the next, we can be provoking men. As Christians, we need to do away with profanity. We need to do away with slander. We need to do away with gossip. We need to, to as Psalms 141, verse number 3 says, we, need to, we ought to commit this verse to memory and make it part of our life and, and a, a constant prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You heard about the three pastors that were talking and just getting real honest with each other, just sharing their burdens and their strengths and their weaknesses. One of the guys says, well, you know, I've been working really hard on this, but I've, I've got this problem, and every once in a while, I like to take a little drink. I drink a little bit. I know it's wrong, and I shouldn't be drinking. And, you know, I don't get drunk very often, uh, but I just I drink a little. And, and they're like, man preacher, you know. And the other guy says, yeah, I, I, I've got this problem, and I, I'm trying to get over it, but I, I like to gamble. I, and I just, I, I'm just looking for that kick, get rich quick. I just, I know it's never going to happen, you know, never going to be rich unless it happens that way. And so I just, I just keep just a little bit each week, you know, just gambling a little bit. And those two, since they got so blunt and open, they look at the third guy and he says, well, gentlemen, I've been trying to get over it for a long time, but what I have a problem with is gossiping. <laughs> he says, I can't wait till the next pastor's fellowship. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get rid of that stuff. Put it away. I don't know why our flesh loves it so much. We just enjoy being on part of the in crowd or part of being included in some group or we like it that somebody shares intimate details with us or, or whatever it is. But man, we got to control that tongue. Amen? True saving faith, beloved, will be exposed or revealed by the words that we use. Then I want you to see that he gives us in these last verses here, verses 13 through 18, we see the display of a leader. The actions of a leader put on display. He says here in verse number 13, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, which you know that word conversation is, is actions. It's our, it's our life. It's what we're living. He says, let us show out of a good life 
his works with meekness of wisdom. So he's saying the actions that you take, the life that you live is going to be on display. People are going to see it. It, the, The saving faith that's made a difference in your life is going to be evidenced by the wisdom that you show in the life that you live. Do you know that the acquisition of knowledge is not equal to the application of wisdom? Just because you acquire knowledge does not mean that you're wise. There are a whole lot of very knowledgeable people that aren't very wise. And you guys all know there's some, some old farmers. There's, there's some, some people that they didn't get a whole lot of book learning, but they've got a lot of wisdom. They got a lot of wisdom. And that's, that's the difference. It's not just the acquisition of knowledge, but it's the application of that knowledge that shows your wisdom that you have. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What Paul's, I'm sorry, what James is describing or explaining to us here, when he's talking about this wisdom that's on display, he said, your wisdom is going to be on display. The question is, is what is the foundation or the base of the wisdom that you're showing? And let me illustrate for you. See, there's two types of wisdom that are described here. You see, everybody in your life, you, you are showing some type of wisdom. But what wisdom is that? First of all, he says there's the wisdom that's man's wisdom. Wisdom from below. He describes this in verse number 14. He says, but if any of, sorry, but if, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. There is a wisdom that cometh from below, that wisdom that results in bitter envying, which is really strong jealousy, or the idea of strife in your hearts, of striving. That idea of strife in your hearts has to do with uh, working only for pay, striving for only that which is good. Uh, You could put it this way, only doing what benefits you. That's worldly wisdom. That's wisdom from below. Only be, you don't really care about anybody else. You only do something as if it ultimately is going to benefit you. The wisdom from below, the Bible describes here, is devilish, earthly. The results of that type of wisdom when it's on display is confusion. That word confusion means unstable or disorderly. We know that God is not the author of confusion. So wisdom from him is not going to result in confusion. It's not going to result in disorder. But I think about many people in the world today that live without Christ. And think about their life. The disorder that's there. The confusion that's there. The, the, the lack of stability that's there. You see, you see it in their lives all the time. That's wisdom from below. What a description he gives us in describing that type of wisdom. 
Some people are living by that, even though they may profess to be Christians, they're, they're living with that kind of wisdom. But then you have the wisdom of the master, wisdom from above. And that's in verse number 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above, and we have listed here for us the seven pillars of wisdom. Each one of these could be a message in and of themselves and drawing application from other places in the scriptures and applying it to our lives. And we won't take the time for that tonight. But he says, there's seven pillars of wisdom here. He says, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. These seven pillars of wisdom, what I'm saying is what type of wisdom is on display in your life? When people look at your life in the actions that you take and how you live and the words that you say, do they see somebody that's pure, that's peaceable? Do they see somebody that's gentle? That gentle is, is not weak. That gentle is not soft. That gentle is the idea of moderation, or, or meekness like is described uh, of Moses, the, the gentleness. It's somebody that has great power, but they're gentle, and that is they know how to hold it back. They have the ability. You know, let's say I had the ability to, to embarrass a friend of mine. I had the power to do that. But to be gentle is to not do that. Right. See, I, I could do it, but I'm not going to do it. That's wisdom from above. See, that's putting that into practice in our lives. Easy to be entreated. That you can be talked to. Do others think about you as somebody they could talk to? I wonder, sir, does your wife feel that you're somebody that can be talked to? Does she think that, well, I could go to my husband and I could talk to him and he would hear me? Not just, you know, he would hear my voice, but he would hear what I was saying. It would come through. He's easily entreated. Parents, do your kids think that you're approachable? That they can talk to you? Man, if I had a need? Or would they just think, well, mom and dad, they aren't going to listen. They don't, they don't understand what I'm going through. They don't care what I'm going through. and they, they, they don't have an ear to hear me. I'm not going to talk to them anyway. If, if as parents we've given that impression to our children, we, we've messed up somewhere. Now, children need direction. But they ought to always feel like they can come and talk to you. Even with the problem. Even with something that they know you're not going to like. Dad, I've been drinking all your Mountain Dews. <laughs> I just, I got to have one every day for breakfast. And I, I know I shouldn't drink them, but I just got to talk to you about this. What have you been doing? You've been drinking. You're a stinking rotten thief. You, I can't believe it, boy. I'm going to tan your hide. You aren't going to be able to sit down for a month. I mean, if you respond like that when they come to you, they won't ever come to you again. You need the wisdom from above to know how to respond so that they know you're easily entreated. Listen, all we have to do is think about and follow the example of Christ. Isn't it amazing how easily our Savior's entreated? And we can go to Him in prayer at any time with any need, and we know He'll hear us. 
That's wisdom from above. That's what we should have. Full of mercy. Boy, I need and want mercy, but how much mercy do I show? Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Christian, the wisdom that we have is on display. The wisdom we're using to live our lives is on display, whether that's wisdom from below or wisdom from above. Man's wisdoms or the master's wisdom. What kind of wisdom are you using? Learning to lead people. Maybe it's not for everybody. Some people are deceived. They think they're doing great, but their mouth is telling on them. And then how we're living is on display. And the more people you lead, the more on display it is. That's just the facts. You, you lead people, and the old, the old saying of the glass house, that's life. That's what it is. I, I get comments all the time about stuff, you know, people saw me, oh, I saw you over there, or I saw you do that, or yeah, I saw you at the store, or, I drove by your house yesterday, and you were mowing the grass, and you know, whatever, different, I mean, you're just, your life's on display. The more people you lead, the more on display you are. But the question is not so much that you're on display, but the question is what kind of wisdom do people see you displaying? 